0: That's IXL.com slash BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com/transformativeprinciple. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have Michelle Mann on the program today. Michelle has been in higher education for over 20 years, and she focuses her work on working with disadvantaged students, especially students who have dropped out of high school. As a former police officer, she currently resides in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. So, Michelle, welcome to Transformative Principal. I'm excited to talk with you today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: I should mention again that you and I first met when we did this diversity panel in September, October, somewhere around there. And that was a really great opportunity for me to engage and participate with you and other people who were on the panel. I just thought it was a great, a very well done webinar series. And there's a link to it here in the show notes so that you can check it out as well. Uh, I was so impressed with how you managed that and, and ran that and the questions you came up with. I wanted to be sure to have you. On the podcast, and so first of all, I'd like to talk about this idea of helping disadvantaged students, especially those who have dropped out of high school. And mm-hmm. you had mentioned that your mission is to help these kids who may have been misled uh, and get them back to being um, mm-hmm. productive members of society. Can you talk a little bit about what that means that that they may have been misled?
1: Sure. What I found is that a problem at home becomes a problem in the school, and also the problem in the community. So when you see kids that are troubled and they're in your classroom, they're experiencing trouble someplace else in their life. I started at the middle school and then transitioned to the high school level. Working with youth that may have behavior problems and trying to reach out to parents and families and just making that connection. What I found is that many of those kids came from what we call dysfunctional families or broken homes. And they were just trying to figure it out. Many of them liked parental supervision, but more importantly, parental guidance and love. Years ago, I read an article Um, by a woman named um, Jennifer Morse Roebuck. And she wrote this article called Parents are Prisons. It's an older article um, in 2003. I can share it with you as well. But it was so disturbing to me, that article. She made some valid points, enough to stir up something in me during that time when she said, when you have kids that come out of homes where there's not two parents and they're single parents, the probability of those kids getting into the criminal justice system is really high. The probability of those kids dropping out of high school is really high. And she went on to say that many of them end up incarcerated and the prison becomes the parent. And I thought, wow, what can we do while we have kids right in our classroom that may face some of those issues. And so I began to really work with kids after school. I also began to do home visits, talk to the parents, find out where they live, how were they living, if there was any other resources. So people at on my um at my school would come to me because I went and and found community resources and ways that I could help families. And what I found is that once the, that family was able to receive some help and some resources, it helped the child do better. It helped the child do better in school. And I could build the morale of that kid and the family.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to finding those resources, in my experience, it hasn't always been that the resources were helpful. But that the family, I mean, they are helpful, don't get me wrong, (laughs) but that the family has somebody on their team looking out for them. Can you talk about the difference between providing resources and being there on the same team with them?
1: I think that being there on the same team with them means a lot. I think that many families in in urban areas and low-income areas are just trying to survive. They're facing all of the social issues, some unemployment, some poverty, some uh, drug addiction, alcohol, um, crime, violence. They, all these other environmental and social issues that are impacting their community. So it's hard to fight against those things. You have to have someone in your corner that is pushing you. That's encouraging you, that's motivating you, and that believes in you. I learned, I got so much out of my kids. And I would have teachers come and say, How did you get him to stay out school and do his homework? Because you know what? Just, being, just letting that person know that we're on the same team, and I'm here to support you. And you know what? You can graduate from high school, you can go on to college. You are so smart. You know what I mean? You can beat all the odds. You know, I know that you you may have these other issues that are staring you in the face. But I think just giving them that reinforcement and then letting them know that you care. Letting them know that you sincerely care. And there were times I met with families and I said, I don't have the answer. I really don't. But let's let's try to work through this. Here's where we can start. So I think more than just getting the resources to them, is letting them know that you care and being and having that, that empathy. I think empathy is really important.
0: Yeah. Talk a little bit, talk a little bit more about the empathy because oftentimes, you know, I, I used to do home visits as well when I was a school mm-hmm. principal and found such great benefit in doing that. And a lot of people wrongly assumed that I would do home visits to see the kind of place they were living to have empathy and I, I really didn't, I did home visits to say, I care about you as a human being and I'm leaving mm-hmm. my safe place to come to what is hopefully your safe place and mm-hmm. tell you that I'm willing to meet you wherever I need to, to, to be supportive. So can you talk a little bit more about empathy and what that means to, to have that empathy for what they're experiencing?
1: I think that empathy is empathizing with their current conditions, their current situation. Um, not looking down on them, but having a level of understanding. And here's a big key factor. Wherever they are, respecting wherever they are and knowing that if this is how they live, this is how they live. And I empathize with you with that. I'm not judging you. I'm not holding that over your head. And there were times that you may not live the way I live, but I still empathize and show respect for where you were. I heard someone say this. In order to get somebody where they need to be, you have to meet them where they are. So me taking off my high heel shoes and putting on tennis shoes or flip flops or flat shoes and coming into your house or me putting on jeans and a T-shirt and coming and showing that I can empathize with you where you are. I may not have the same experience but I can certainly validate your experience. I could hear your experience, listen to your issues and be able to understand more about where you are. I think that we if we don't have that level of understanding where people are, then how can we truly empathize with them? No I haven't walked in your shoes but me having the opportunity to gather some wisdom and some knowledge from you, And my grandfather used to say, you can learn from everyone in every walk of life. You can learn from someone. And I think that we are continuous learners. And so right where they are, you know, I wanted to be able to show them respect, but also wanted to be able to validate their conditions and their situation and see how I could help them.
0: Yeah, and what I really appreciate is so many of the things that you that you talked about that they are experiencing in that situation, those are isolating experiences. If you are unemployed, you're isolated because you're not going into work. If you are um in poverty and you know, just barely making it from meal to meal, you're isolated because you know, you're not going over to people's houses and having them over to your house to mm-hmm. to share your abundance with. And so mm-hmm. those isolating experiences, it really means a lot when someone comes and says I see you and I hear you and I care about you as an individual. And I love that wisdom from your grandpa about being able to learn from anybody. I think that that is, that is so important. And people may be in a better situation financially at certain times in their life, but there, there are experiences and there is depth to that experience that we have to recognize and, and value and be aware of. And I, I think that's really important. So when you, when you're working with these students, especially who have dropped out of high school, how do you help them get back to where they believe that they can come back and be productive members of society? Because I imagine they're, they're likely struggling with that feeling of self-worth and value and things. How do you help bring them back to where they're more contributing and feel that themselves?
1: One thing I did in my course room is I implemented a leadership component. Um, Oftentimes, kids don't understand their leadership and they don't understand how to be a leader. And even if they're not out front leading, I wanted them to know that they are influencing someone somewhere. So I really looked at leadership skills and I would start with the first session was just tell me who looks up to you and who do you look up to? And so I would have them build a tree. Someone's looking up at you, and you're looking up at someone else.
0: JohnCat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest JohnCat publications include a book whose bold transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principal. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations.
2: If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over. My research is already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help what I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, Basically I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers and we give them handbooks to say, Hey, this is what you should be doing what I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at
0: cybertraps.com slash seven.
1: So now tell me what the person that's looking up at you, what they see. Now tell me what you see at the person you're looking up to. And so it gave them an opportunity to be able to see. And most of them had younger brothers and sisters and siblings and kinship care and cousins and other relatives and things. And so I said, and then after then I would say, well, what do you want them to see? What do you want the person that's looking up at you? And what do you want to see in the person? And it begins to resonate with them on leadership. Someone's leading you, but you're also leading others. And so focusing on those leadership skills, even, like I said, even if they're not out front, but just looking at those leadership skills and then being able to determine what is it that you like? What do you want to be good at? You know, what are some of your talents? I really focused on the person. So I did a lot of personal assessments and I had a lot of athletes. So they would say, you know, I'm really good at basketball. Okay. Okay, so why are you not playing in school? Well, I got to get my grades up. Okay, let's start there. So having them set goals and just small goals. You know, I just want you to do your homework this week. But then one of the things that I found with kids is that rewarding them, and not necessarily anything big, but if all of my kids did what they were supposed to do, I had a pizza party on Friday. didn't cost me a whole lot of money. You know what I mean? I went to Domino's and made a deal with them for $5 pies, and they gave me one topping, and they looked so forward to that, and then I made certificates or whatever, and I would give it to them, and they would stick it in their folder or put it on the top part of their binder. Or they would say, I got to go home and show my mom. Just those little things reinforce your self-worth. It reinforced that, you know what? I believe in you. I care about you. And there's something good. Because most of them hear all of the bad things. And I, when we're calling parents... And I would call parents and I would say, hi, this is Ms. Mann. I'm your son's teacher. And I just wanted you to know that, you know, he did a great job this week. And parents would say, usually when I get a call from the school, he's suspended or he got in trouble. Well, this is not that call. So I have more calls to make. So have a great day. Just wanted to touch bases with you. Keep encouraging him. Keep pushing him. You know, those types of things I think are really important to understand self-worth.
0: Yeah. I, that idea of self-worth I think is so incredibly valuable because it, it affects everything else. You know, when you have self-worth, you make decisions that value yourself when you don't have self-worth or you don't believe that you're going to, you know, live to be a certain age, you know, you're going to die by the time you're 20. If those kinds of things are going on in your head, uh-huh. you don't, you don't care much about what's happening and helping kids yes. have that self-worth really is important. So in, in my faith approach, I see every kid as a child of God. And to me, that makes it mm-hmm. really easy to care about them and love them because I see that they have this divine potential. And when I take that approach in a public school, I'm not out there preaching everything I believe, but it helps me remember who they are and who they can become. Yeah. And so yes. when I see them in that light, then... Then I can have more patience with them. I can, I can treat them better Mm -hmm. and and all that. But then I can also help them to see that they have more potential and more worth than they may believe that they have in the moment. And that's just that's a little thing, Michelle, to us, but it's so Mm -hmm. huge for them. And the Mm -hmm. recognition that you were talking about with the pizza parties and and the certificates, those didn't mean as much as them knowing that you were proud of them and them accomplishing something. Yeah. But that was how you chose to show that they had worth. And and that's the key piece, I think, is being able to mm-hmm. show how someone has worth is just incredibly valuable. So as, as you're working with mm-hmm. these kids, they're able to, to come out of some tragic situations. Can you share a story or two of someone who, they didn't have to become an NFL star, but something where they overcame something and be, and lived up to their potential?
1: I can. I had a young man. This is when I was at the vocational education center. And so all of my kids were kicked out of school, Pinellas County Schools. And three reasons you can be primarily kicked out of school. There's some others. But the three top reasons are drugs, sex and weapons. So you may probably have run into those inside of my classroom. And so I had a, a, a lady. She had come to the campus. School was over with. And I was up in the front and she said, you know, I want to talk to Michelle Mann. And she said, I, someone told me to come here um, because she had a program that could help my son. So they said, oh, you saw? I said, oh, this is how I am, Michelle. So we ended up talking, going back to my office. Her son, at the age of 12, his name was Kevin, began to sell drugs. He began to sell drugs. At the age of 12, because he was tall, so he looked a little bit older. So 12, 13, he's making a lot of money out on the street, dropped out of school, sorry, you know, getting in trouble. So this guy comes over to buy drugs. He owes them money. So what he says is that I'm going to hold you and drive around in your BMW at the age of 13, going on 14. You don't even have a driver's license at that age. And until you get your check, which was two days later. Well, of course, the the man's family reported him missing. And so when they saw the BMW, the police followed him. They said, hey, that car is stolen. This is a missing person. So they ended up surrounding his house with helicopters, swats, everything. He had a standoff at the age of 14 years old and ended up going to prison. And because he was so young and had not been in any trouble, but it still was a serious crime, they gave him what we call the Youthful Offender Act in our state, which is four and two. So they gave him four years incarceration, followed by two years community supervision. So he comes out, he's just 17, one or 18 years old. So he's coming out, she's trying to find a program. So I said, okay, here's the information. I said, we're going to be um, out doing a community service project. You know, you can bring him there. And then here's the paperwork. She brought the paperwork back. So we get to the community service out. I see this guy walking slow. I don't know who he is. So he walks up to me. He says, hey, you know, my mom told me to come see you. I was like, you're an hour late. I said, no, you can't. You try it again tomorrow. So he was like, well, I don't have to be here. So he said something, walked her down the road. So the next day we came back to the community service project. When I pulled up, he was sitting on the curb waiting for me. And I just walked by him like I didn't see him. Sometimes I have to act kind of like the tough girl. So I walked by him like I didn't see him. And then he was like, excuse me. And I said, "How can I help you? I said, so you're here to work? Get up, let's go. So we introduced him to the guys. He turned out to be my best student. I couldn't believe it. This kid came out. He would stay after school and do his GED. He ended up getting his high school diploma because he was still very young. And he went to the what we call the Public Works Academy. They fell in love with him. He just breezed through there. And they ended up getting a job with the city of St. Pete. But then he also, he came to me and he said, you know, I like somebody at your church. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my Lord. my Oh, my goodness. And so, very good girl. But you know what they say, good girls, Jethro. I want you to know good girls like bad boys. And so, the, the mom came to me and said, he's been in trouble. They are married today, happily married. They live in Baltimore, Maryland. He's a longshoreman. He has a bachelor's degree. He's working on his master's. We never know a person's potential. I may be able to see all the things you've done, but I don't know your potential. It is for me to pour into you. And I believe that, you know, just that seed of self-worth And him getting those accomplishments and understanding what it was like to just to succeed without the criminal activity helped him. And then, of course, love. He married a a young lady, Whitney. They have two beautiful boys, my godchildren. And, you know, I took him to Tennessee to the Department of Juvenile Justice National Convention, and he was a speaker. And he told his test. It was really his testimony. And I think that when you have situations like that, it also helps me. It also reaffirms just the gratitude of really pouring into the lives of others and how you can help them.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic story. And what I love about that so much, Michelle, is that it's not like he became super wealthy, but he's living a good life has a family, has an education, has you know a lot of good things going for him, is able to share his success and growth with others. And again, not everybody has to be in the NBA or NFL or whatever it is. Right. Not everybody has to be a famous singer or an actor or whatever. But if you can have the kind of life where you can be happy and support others, then to be honest, that's probably gonna be worth it for a lot of people. And we can help people get there. I love what you said that we never know a person's potential. So um, that that's a, a fabulous story. I appreciate you sharing that. And if you'd ever want to be a guest on the podcast and talk about his experience, I'd love to chat with yeah, him because awesome. that would be great. He's an
1: awesome, he's an awesome young man. Yeah. I mean he beat the odds. And you know, I think too that many of you, many youth, and many kids that experience this trouble, and oftentimes kids in our classrooms mm-hmm. really just need an opportunity to see the light, to see a different way, to see that they can go to college or they can be successful. You know what I mean? I, I think we have to really raise the ceiling, so to speak, because I think that ceiling impact is huge. It's going to be hard for that mom that's dropped out of high school or that dad that's been incarcerated to raise the ceiling. But you can raise the ceiling for your kids and move right above that. And I think that ultimately most parents want better for their kids. They may not know how to get there. They may not know how to do it. But I I do believe that they want the best for their children.
0: Yeah. And this brings up another point about why it's so important for kids to have charismatic adults, as JC Pohl calls them in their mm-hmm. lives, because there there's only so much that a parent can do. And then they need help from the community, from teachers or people in faith groups or whatever the case may be to help them see what's possible for their own kids. And that's really important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In closing, mm-hmm. Michelle, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal?
1: When I think about transformative, I think transformation is not an event. It's a process. Trust the process. Walk in the process. Walk in authority. Know that through that process, it may be some detours, but the thing that you can do is to keep walking. Don't ever stop. So I think that transformation is not an event, but it's a process. It's not like you go to a concert and pay a ticket and see a show. Sometimes that process may take other people longer than some. And so trust the process.
0: Very good. Michelle, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle today. This was great talking with you.
1: Thank you. Have a great evening.
0: Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code transformative to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com transformativeprincipal